0: The last chapter of Luke, not every gospel writer tells us of the ascension of Christ into heaven, but Luke does, both in the gospel of Luke and then another account, he gives of it in the book of Acts, his sequel. We begin reading tonight where Jesus is appearing on Easter, and by the time we come to the end of the gospel of Luke and our reading tonight, we're at the ascension, which is 40 days later. Remember how that goes. Christ rises from the dead 40 days later, six weeks of teaching, his disciples appearing here and there, and then he ascends into heaven, and then 10 days after that, he pours out his spirit, Pentecost. So we'll begin reading at Luke 24, verse 33, and it's talking about the the disciples who had been on the road to Emmaus with Jesus and who had come to know Jesus as he opened the word to them and broke the bread to them. And then we read God's word at Luke 24, verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Let's bow and ask the Lord to... Teach us of himself and his word tonight. O Lord Jesus Christ, you who declare your own name, who send forth your spirit to guide your people into your word, we pray that you be present with us tonight. We Rejoice in your reign. We're grateful to know you and to know of your glories. And We pray for your saving help, that you would bless us tonight as only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, people of God, how, how do we explain what has happened here in the lives of these disciples? What has caused them now to be filled with joy, to bless the name of God, to go to the temple and to worship the Lord? It hadn't been that way. It wasn't that way when Christ had set his face towards Jerusalem and he marched forward with resolute determination towards the city. They were afraid. And it hadn't been that way. On the night of the Passover, when Jesus, remember in John's account, Jesus is telling them he's going to leave them, he's going to depart, and they're they're filled with sorrow. And it hadn't been that way after Jesus died on Good Friday. And they were dismayed, and they didn't dare to go to the temple where the enemies of Christ stood, but they hid behind closed doors in fear of the Jews. But now, at the end of Luke's account, they are rejoicing, they are glad, they are singing the praise of God, and they're going to the temple to bless the name of the Lord. What's happened? Well, they have come to see something, right, and to understand something, and our Lord Jesus wants us to see and wants us to understand as well that we might be a people of confident hope upon the earth. We're very much aware, aren't we, that... We're living in a hopeless world. Sociologists have have labeled deaths of despair the kind of deaths people die from taking their own life and from drug overdoses and from destroying their bodies through alcohol. Call these deaths of despair, and the number has in the past decades risen tripled. And we we see a hopelessness, don't we? That people are given to try to escape reality, whether it be by binging on Movies or TV shows or video games or food, people want to check out. People are, are hopeless, they're despairing. But the church of Jesus Christ has a reason for hope. And Christ has recorded this word so that we might join with the disciples here in finding a reason to bless the name of God. And so we should pray tonight that the Lord will give us a fresh, fresh glimpse of, of something we get so used to sometimes. But our Lord Jesus has ascended. He's on the throne. He's coming again. He's with us. Let's look tonight at how the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven guarantees both the future of the church and our mission upon the earth. And let's consider three things. First of all, that Christ leads us through the gates of heaven. That first of all, that Christ leads us through the gates of heaven. The gospel of Luke began with with coming down and ends with going up. Sometimes we say that what, must, what goes up must come down, but in the Gospel of Luke, it's what comes down that goes back up. The, the angel Gabriel came down to announce to John or to Zechariah the birth of John, announced to, to Mary the, the, the birth of Jesus, but, but he returns to heaven. And more importantly, the Son of God came down and took up residence in Mary's womb, was born upon the earth, and now at the end of the Gospel account, he's going up. He's lifted up to heaven. But you notice that Jesus returns to heaven not simply as the Son of God, right? Jesus returns to heaven not simply as the Son of God, but the Son of God in our human nature, our brother, one of us, right? He enters heaven as the God-man, as divine, but also human. And so what we have here happening as Jesus is carried up into heaven is that a human has entered the gates of heaven. Which is an extraordinary thing. If you recall, we'd been banished from the Garden of Eden. Our human nature had been expelled from God's presence. Our human nature could not rise up to heaven. There's nothing we could could have done to recover the relationship with God. We couldn't cover our sins. We couldn't do enough good. But what was lost in Adam is restored in Jesus Christ. And now we have... The Lord Jesus, the head of the church, entering into glory, our forerunner. And there's something very beautiful and encouraging, isn't there, about verse 50, when Luke writes that he led them out as far as Bethany. It should fill us with hope and great courage to see Christ again going before his people, leading them. Christ was the leader throughout his ministry, wasn't he? He, he wasn't confused as to his mission. He didn't hesitate or delay. He, he had this great sense of purpose, of calling, that his father had sent him. And so he came for a task, and with authority he, he called fishermen to lay down their nets and to follow him. He led them forth as he went to preach the gospel of his kingdom and to heal the sick and cast out demons. Jesus had, on Passover night, actually led his band of disciples Out to this very place. Because Bethany, you see, is apparently on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus had led his band of disciples to the Mount of Olives, from which he condescended to die for us. Jesus had been leading and leading. And after he arose from the dead, Christ was leading again, commissioning the women to go tell the disciples Christ was appearing to his disciples over the course of 40 days, teaching them and instructing them and preparing them and helping them to understand. And now, on the very last day here of Christ physically on earth, he leads them again. Not just out to Bethany, on the eastern slopes of Mount Olivet, but he shows them the way to heaven, doesn't he? Christ here, it's interesting, he doesn't gather all of the world to reveal his glory, right? Some of us were so dismayed that we wish Christ would just show his glory and do something. Well, Christ hasn't done that since his death, right? The resurrected Jesus appeared, remember 1 Corinthians 15, to a limited group of people, to the apostles, to the women, to 500 people at once, but not to everyone. And here, Jesus doesn't invite the whole world to come see him being carried up to heaven, but he invites the apostles who will be eyewitnesses. And so we see that Christ, it's not his intention to reveal his glory visibly at this point, not till he comes again, but it's his intention to reveal his glory through the preaching of the gospel. What did they witness here? They witnessed that this Jesus... The very same one who had been nailed to the cross and who had been ridiculed and despised. Lifted up now, not to a cross, but lifted up to the right hand of God, to the place of glory. And God is, is plainly proclaiming here that Christ has won the victory. That he has fulfilled his redemptive assignment. He, he has satisfied for our sins. He has executed his assignment perfectly as the servant of the Lord. God lifting him up is is God's announcement of approval. He brings his son home. But more than that, he brings the head of the church into heaven. And that's our great comfort tonight. We have made entrance into heaven. Imagine for a moment that a few families are going to the Oregon coast. Maybe mom and dad have rented a house there, invited the children, and they're all going to gather at the coast for a few days, and on the way, maybe mom and dad are a little bit nervous, wondering if, if everything's going to be all right. The house is going to be ready, and the, the code they gave us is going to work on the keypad and get in and all of that stuff, and maybe they even think, you know, last time it didn't go well, and we had to call all over the place when we got there, and then we found out the house was actually double booked, and, and so maybe there's a bit of nervousness as they drive to the coast, but, but maybe one of the children went ahead. And they arrived there, they punched in the, the key code, and they they went into the house, and it was perfect. And so they called mom up, and they said, we're, we're inside, it's all perfect, it's all ready. And when she gets that call, then everything has changed, right? We have entered the house. Well, we haven't, we're still on the road driving, but one of our party has, and that makes all the difference. You see, that's how it is here. When the one carried up into heaven is our brother, is the head of the church, is united to our flesh, is our Lord, human nature has entered the gates of heaven. He was carried up, he was welcomed, the father delighted in his son. As one writer says, by his going, he has taken humanity to the pinnacle of the universe. All who trust him will one day be brought to share his glory in that exalted realm And to reign with him at his return. And so Paul can say in Ephesians 2 that we are seated in the heavenly places. Not physically, but in a certain sense, in principle, because Christ is seated in heaven. We are seated in heaven as we look up to heaven and see Christ there. We're looking into a mirror and we're beholding our own destiny. And so we have a glorious leader. He led them out, not just to Bethany, but he led them in. Through the gates of heaven. And that's a marvelous thing. Remember in another gospel. Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples. And where I go you know. And the way you know. And Thomas said Lord no. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus said I am the way. the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Follow me. Come through me. So as we look at a desperately confused world tonight, as we see people who are giving themselves to checking out escapism, hiding from realities, distracting their minds, poisoning their bodies, some of them taking their own lives, we sit in a very different place tonight, don't we? Because we know that no matter what happens to us, in Christ, the head of the church, we behold our destiny. We have a purpose. We have a future. And we're never on our own. Jesus Christ is the only one who can lead us. And he shows us the only ultimate goal we're seeking, which is to live with God eternally. And he leads us to the Father's home. And so the writer of Hebrews can say in chapter 12, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's lay it aside. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you're discouraged when you feel hopeless do you hear the summons of the word to look to Jesus the author and the finisher and say to yourself he's blazed the trail he has led me through the gates of glory. In principle. And he's leading me right now to the gates of glory. In reality, you say that to yourself? Will you lay aside every weight and the sin which is ensnaring you? And will you say, Lord Jesus, for the joy that was before you, you you despised the shame, you looked forward, you arrived, and in you I will arrive too. But how can we follow if we're weak? And if our enemies surround us. Well, secondly tonight, it's not just that Christ leads us through the gates of glory. But secondly tonight, notice that he lavishes our lives with heaven's blessing. He lavishes our lives with heaven's blessing. How memorable the way Jesus ascends to heaven. He lifts up his hands and he blesses his disciples. And while he's blessing them, he's carried up into heaven with his outstretched arms. The book of Luke began with a people gathered and awaiting the blessing. Remember, they were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the temple after he burned the incense. And presumably waiting for him to come out and pronounce the blessing. But when he came out, he couldn't speak because he had doubted the angel Gabriel's words. And so he was made mute. But it was the custom of the priest to bless the people. And that was the calling that God gave them, not only to offer sacrifice for sins, but upon That basis then to bless them, Numbers chapter 6, speak to Aaron and his sons, say to them, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Isn't that extraordinary? That God would want his blessing to be pronounced upon his people, in which God is saying, I effectively communicate to you my favor. I declare to you my smile. It's an amazing thing to think of a face shining, right? We, we see that sometimes, children, when they're excited, maybe opening presents, their faces shine, or, or you think of a boyfriend and girlfriend, fiancés who, who are staring each other in the face with delight and smiling. There's many children who long to see their father smile upon them, but have never seen that, right? Children who, who didn't know their father, whose father was not a loving father, and they I remember driving somewhere with a man I hardly knew. He was a Christian man, but he, he told me that when he, when he sees his earthly father, and he was, I don't know, 30 or 40 years old, but he says, when I see my dad, I still turn into a 12-year-old. I just crave his approval. Never, I never got that growing up. But here, God says, my face will shine on you. You'll bask in the radiance of of my favor upon you. Give you my blessing. I'll communicate to you peace and prosperity and my presence with you. My face will shine on you and you'll know that you have the approval of your Father and he delights in you. It's an amazing thing. And how can it be that God should bless us when we deserve completely the curse, when we deserve that God's face would turn from us, but Jesus on the cross, he instead received it, didn't he? His father turned away. The sun went black. There was no shining face. Jesus suffered that, and therefore, when he lifts up his hands to these disciples, he lifts up those nail-pierced hands, and with those nail-pierced hands lifted up, he declares to them, this is what I've bought for you. The blessing, the favor, the shining face of your Father upon you. The New Testament epistles often end with blessings, don't they? We use those in our worship service, don't we? We, we conclude with the blessing of the Lord pronounced upon us. And so we, we we understand that we can't leave the worship service to go in our own strength. To do the work God's called us to do. We can't go forward into a world of enemies without the sense of our Father's favor. We, we, we go out from the presence of our God, as it were, under His blessing. It's an amazing thing to think that the Lord Jesus Christ, He's lifted up to heaven, blessing His disciples, saying to them, What do you think I'm going to be doing in heaven? Right? Luke says he's going to return in the book of Acts he says the angel says he's going to return the same way presumably blessing the people and what's he doing in between times he's blessing his people Christ in heaven interceding for us remembering us sending the spirit pouring out God's love and favor upon us and so Christ here places the entirety of our lives and service under his holy benediction how different From a world that doesn't know where they stand with God. Or if they understand rightly, they can understand themselves to be under the wrath of God. They feel God is against them and they're right. He is against them. But the church of Jesus Christ, not just waiting for the last day for Christ to come back. that We might finally understand where do we stand with God. But the Christian gets to live the life upon earth with the absolute knowledge that they've been reconciled to God and God is smiling upon their lives. And it's that joy that can set us free from trying to find our joy in worthless things. Where are you finding your life your greatest temptations? Ask yourself, have I forgotten the pleasure the Father has taken in me? Would I give up the sense of his pleasure for these lesser things? The Lord doesn't leave us on the earth to our own resources. but Christ here is pledging to pour out comfort and courage and love to be merciful to those who treat us wrong and faithfulness to stick with Christ. And he's sending his disciples out for a great task, but... But he's, with this blessing, he's guaranteeing the ultimate success of the mission of these apostles to preach Christ to the ends of the earth. It's interesting as you look at redemptive history that the blessing of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord is the hallmark of the history of redemption. Because, you know, it was in Genesis when God made the man a woman, he blessed them and said to be fruitful multiply. and multiply. And then God destroys the whole earth except for Noah and his family But then he sends out Noah and his his family and says that he blesses them, be fruitful and multiply. And then after the world goes off in sin, God calls Abraham out of a land of idols. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But now finally, in Jesus Christ, the apostles are sent out to announce the victory. Christ has paid for sin. There's a way to God. And they go out under the blessing of the Savior. And that leads us to the last thing then, that he leads us forward with heaven's confident joy. You noticed, first of all, that he leads us through the gates of heaven. And secondly, that he lavishes our lives with heaven's blessing. But in the third place, you can see that he leads us forward with heaven's confident joy. So Luke begins and ends in the same place, at the temple. At the temple, the disciples here, they worship, they return to Jerusalem with great joy, and they're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Again, they're not depressed. We might have thought they'd be sad and discouraged. Jesus has left, but it's actually the opposite. They're they're thrilled, they're delighted, they're exuberant because they see that in the end they've lost nothing, but they've gained everything. What are they rejoicing in? Well, there's a lot of things. Let me point to four of them. Number one, they're rejoicing in Christ's continual presence. Jesus just promised them in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit. When he was on the earth in his physical nature, he could only be in one place at one time, but he's leaving them to give his presence in a more useful way through the Holy Spirit who will be with all of his people the world over. They rejoice, secondly, in his exaltation. They had witnessed horrible crimes committed against their Lord and Master. They had seen him hated and despised by people and lied about, falsely condemned, beaten, killed. And now they see him lifted up in glory, receiving what is his due, the Father exalting him. And that delights them. It should delight us. It's going to delight us when we see Jesus. Thomas, Boston, a Puritan, Presbyterian, said that when we get to heaven, we're going to see with our eyes the the human nature of Jesus, exalted above all powers. He writes, There we shall see with our eyes that very body which was born of Mary at Bethlehem and crucified at Jerusalem between two thieves, the blessed head that was crowned with thorns, the face that was spit upon, the hands and feet that were nailed to the cross, we're going to see all of this shining with inconceivable glory. Glory. The disciples see Jesus, a face that was spitting upon, but now a face shining in the radiance of his reward. What a great honor it was to be sent out as the apostles of Jesus. Right? To... To go forward, what a privilege and an honor to bear witness to Jesus Christ. You know, as we speak to neighbors and relatives, sometimes we, we feel so overburdened by the task. We're nervous, we're afraid, what should we say? And we forget this is, a, this is an extreme honor that we should get to bear witness to the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Who are we that we should get to open our mouths and even mention his name? It is our task. John Calvin said that the task of the visible church is to make the invisible reign of Christ visible. That's our task, to make the invisible reign of Christ visible. Again, Jesus has chosen not to visibly display himself. He could have done it when he rose from the dead. He could have done it as ascension. He could do it right now and part the heavens. He will do that at the last day. But until then, Christ has been pleased to make known his reign in heaven through the ministry of the church, through the preaching, through our witness bearing, through the publication of the scriptures. And it should thrill the heart of every believer that Christ has triumphed and entered his glory. This should should delight us. My master is no longer mistreated and lied about and despised and shamed as he was, though many still reject him, but he's been crowned with his reward. He's been lifted up and given the name of every name. God has crowned him with glory and honor because he's accomplished his work. And thirdly, then, the disciples can rejoice in his sovereign rule, his sovereign rule. Matthew doesn't tell us of the ascension, but he tells us that Jesus... Sends them out to make disciples of the nations, the Great Commission, but he does so based upon this extraordinary claim. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Are you impressed with the White House or or with, uh, with the Supreme Court? Are you. All authority is mine, Jesus says. And this ascension is the proof. Because he's exalted to the right hand of God. And so here's the confidence they need. As they go out to press the claim of the Lord Jesus and to call people to bow down and surrender. They have the confidence. They have seen the one they're going to speak of being lifted up by the Father to glory. He's worthy of this. And he owns the nations. And we should have confidence too. We're often shaken, aren't we? We're afraid of, of the powerful in the world, the prestigious, the, the world scholars, the, the rich ones of the world, those with cultural influence. And we forget that ours is the Lord, seated at the right hand of God, executing the will of the Father to perfection. But finally, the disciples could rejoice in a glorious future. That the one who left is coming again for them and to usher in a new creation, and they will reign with him. And so, because of all that, then we read that they worshipped, verse 52, they worshipped. He's worthy of worship. It's a good proof, by the way, for the deity of Christ, right? Not supposed to worship anything but God, and yet in the Bible, Jesus gets worshipped. He is God. He's God, and it's appropriate when God blesses us that we should bless him. Not exactly the same way, but that's the language Scripture uses. We bless his name, that is, we, we praise him, we give thanks to him, and that's what they do. And by their worship, they begin doing what the church will do for all the ages till Jesus comes back. They, in worship, ascend into heaven, all right? That's what worship is, that we, that we, by faith, take off from this launch pad, Into the true temple above where Christ is. And God wants that. He wants us to magnify Christ's name. And he knows that we need worship. We need that. Worship is vital for the health of the church. Worship is to come into God's presence and have our minds realigned. And to be woken up again to the reality that we serve a living and ascended and reigning Jesus who's coming again. Worship is glorious, isn't it? When God, by his word and spirit, grants us a glimpse. Remember Stephen, when he was dying, he was actually able to see Jesus at the right hand of God. And it's in Christian worship that the spirit opens our eyes to the Christ of Scripture to see him in his glory and to be comforted. Someone has said that worship is the fuel of missions. Missions very true isn't it we don't engage in missions we don't have a desire to tell others about the lord we we don't have confidence that this is a worthwhile task or will be a successful task unless we've seen christ at god's right hand until he comes again our task is to worship and to bear witness to him always in this confidence second thessalonians 1 that he's coming on that last day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. If you worship Jesus now, you will worship Jesus later. If you find satisfaction in Christ now, you will be fully satisfied at his appearing. But 2 Thessalonians also warns that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, He will take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, that's why it's a stark contrast that those who, Psalm 2, those who kiss the Son, they'll be blessed in him. And those who oppose his scepter, they will be crushed by him. Those who admire Jesus now, he will come to be admired among you. And any who reject Jesus now to the day of his coming, he will come to condemn. So our calling as the Church of Jesus Christ is, first of all, to make sure that we're worshipers, that our joy is in the Lord Jesus, that we find our delight in knowing that he has purchased for us a blessing we do not deserve, and that our job is to go forward in his name. And the confidence of his power that he sends his church for a successful mission. Not to be measured by the way we might want to measure success. But believing always that the word and spirit of Christ are not ineffective. But Jesus is gathering a people. A people to worship him eternally. And so if we know these things, brothers and sisters, then maybe even this evening that we too like the disciples of old, might throw off our sorrowful hearts to put on gladness. Might put away our fears, hiding behind closed doors, to put on courage and boldness. Might turn away from our dismay and disillusionment to worship and to praise and to bless the name of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word shows us clearly the glory of the Savior. We praise you, Father, for bestowing upon your well-loved Son the reward of his perfect work and how we thank you that he is united to us and we are united to him, that he has guaranteed for us our entrance into your radiant presence. Oh, Father, how we want to do better in our task upon the earth, how ineffective we often feel. And yet, Lord, grant us to believe that you are accomplishing according to your will. Help us not to give up, but to cry out to you. Help us not to be made fearful by men, but to trust in you. Help us in all things to see Jesus Christ in his glory. And may it satisfy our hearts. And may we give him praise. In his name, amen.